to the Nerd Alert podcast. I'm Dave Rome, a tech editor at Cycling Tips, and this week is a deep dive episode with a special guest. I recently made the short jump from Sydney to Melbourne for the Handmade Bicycle Show Australia, and by the time you hear this, most of the show coverage should be live. For this episode, I sat down with Mark Hester of Prover Cycles, a frame builder that a few years back I said was one of the most important makers to watch, and he certainly hasn't disappointed. With an engineering background in motorsport, Mark is undeniably innovative and advanced in much of what he does, and one such example of that was seen with the first Prover gravel bike, which for me was the first time I saw progressive mountain bike geometry applied to a gravel bike. And in this deep dive topic, I picked Mark's brain about all things gravel geometry, how mountain bikes are having an influence, and where he sees things going. Mark is rather humble and was a little hesitant to talk about the subjective world of geometry. Here, he speaks from his experience. Hey Mark, thanks for joining us. No problem, thanks for coming in. All right, so uh, a number of our listeners may know what you're up to with Prover Cycles, uh, but a number may not. Uh, can you give us a quick intro into what it is you do with Prover Cycles? Okay, so I essentially I build custom made to order titanium and still a little bit of steel, but mainly titanium bikes and um, they kind of cross the whole sort of spectrum of cycling so everything from sort of rim brake road bikes to kind of all mountain hardtails um, pinion adventure bikes so kind of a bit of everything like I as myself as a rider I love to ride a heap of different stuff um, so I suppose what I build reflects that kind of broad um, yeah broad selection of cycling okay uh, and I know you've got a bit of an interesting past before bikes. What uh, can you tell us about that? How you, I guess your progression in, into how you came to designing bikes and what you did before that? Um, so I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, initially sort of a big focus on motorsport, um, composite design, vehicle dynamics, that kind of thing. Um, that led into doing quite a long career in control system development in automotive. So like calibrating, torque vectoring, stability control, um, that kind of stuff. So like mostly kind of focusing on like vehicle dynamics and subjective feeling and um, handling performance, that kind of stuff, meeting meeting customer requirements. Um, so that's what I spent kind of like 15 years doing before getting into bikes. Okay. Um, so I've come to bikes after a relatively long time working in engineering field so just instead of building bikes spending more money on bikes <laughs> gotcha so you're riding in that time yeah. you just uh just uh were making money with four wheels as opposed yeah, to exactly I, I think you find like there's a huge amount of people working in motorsport um and automotive that are into cycling like mo- most of the professional drivers are, are riding bikes yeah, life on wheels. Yeah, a lot of the engineers are, are riding bikes, and like I still have some really interesting chats with some of the kind of leading vehicle dynamics engineers in Australia and around, around the world about bike dynamics because it's really not um, as well defined or documented as as vehicles because they're more complicated. Really, like a vehicle, everything's really kind of well. You can make assumptions about how a vehicle, a four-wheeled vehicle, might work, but um, a two-wheeled vehicle is much more difficult. Um, like things like the center of gravity of a of a car is not really going to shift much unless you put something on the roof or. But a bike, like it's shifting all the time. So, yeah, it's that that's kind of where where I come to this from. And then, 
um, like I grew up making stuff. Like uh, my father used to build sort of custom race cars and things like that back in the day. Um, so I grew up in a workshop. I got to make stuff from when I was a kid. So moving back into making things with my hand, hands has been, well, it's something I really enjoy, but it hasn't been like a massive step, I suppose. Um, it's just been, it just takes practice. Like it's taking a long time to learn how to TIG um, to the point now where I'm very comfortable to TIG a titanium frame. Yeah. And when I first met you, you're, uh, you're brazing, right? That's, yeah. So you've had a pretty quick progression through yeah. that, um, I guess, compared yeah. to a number of other builders that may may stick to one or the other through their careers. Um, yeah, like I saw, I, I don't regret at all building the first bunch of frames in steel and fillet braze. I think to start a new business and learn about geometry and how to actually yeah, create a business around building custom bikes. I think if I'd just gone straight into doing TIG tie, I'd probably still be building the first few. Um, so I think um, yeah, anyone that asks me about kind of they want to build some frames, like it's like try and kind of not to say that brazing is easy, but um, it's more accessible, I suppose. Like it's kind of... Um, yeah. On, on the topic of geometry, I think it was uh, one of your gravel bikes, the Mostro, that I might have seen from you at the first handmade show in Australia. Uh, you kind of made your debut there. You had, if I'm not mistaken, you might have built about 20 frames at that point, uh, roughly. Yeah, that or? would have been, yeah, roughly around yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, and that bike you then took a few weeks later to Bristol and yep. you got best new builder in show or was it just best builder in show? What was the, uh, what was the I award think it there? was like, um, so the mountain bike won an award and then... Uh, a peer award for so all the other exhibitors okay yeah, yeah. Uh, and that gravel bike so that was probably the first time I personally saw a really progressive geometry gravel bike one that took modern uh, ideas from the mountain bike world and applied it to drop bars um, since then we have seen a lot of bikes come out come to the market with those similar ideas like BMC have one uh, evil took it too far um, but yours was really yeah i guess um one of those bikes that i looked to and then a year later or, or two years later i saw others follow uh and that's why you're here to talk to us about gravel geometry uh so yeah i guess let's dive into the topic today which is uh, i guess i want to start with the thing that most people talk about which is the idea of trail head angle fork rake uh, a lot of people put um a great deal of emphasis on that about how it um I guess defines a bike. A slack, a slack bike would be one that people assume a slack bike will be one that's handles slowly and is great for long days. A steep handling bike is one that'll feel racy. Do you believe that there's too much emphasis on that? Uh, definitely too much on some of those factors. Like a few of those are driven variables, not variables that you would use to design the basic geometry. Like things like stem length, are kind of something that falls out of the calculations you might look at for weight distribution, so front to rear sensor balance, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I do think there's maybe a little bit too, it's just because they're easy to measure. It's like weight, weight's really easy to measure, so people focus on it. Head tube angle is very easy to measure. It's easy to see in a chart. It doesn't tell the whole story though. Um, it is important obviously, but it's not like, I don't, st when, I, when I start with a clean sheet, because that's how I work, I, I fit someone to a bike I get them in a neutral position or if they've been to another fitter somewhere, they've got them into a neutral position. You take that data and then design the geometry underneath that. 
um, in conjunction with understanding how they want to use the bike because every every bike has a compromise for somewhere and it's like trying to figure out where the person where the rider is going to use the bike drawing on my experience of riding in lots of different places on different bikes and choosing where in that window the bike is going to fall um, so are they going to spend all their time riding like really nice farm roads um, with some asphalt or are they going to be doing like the Hunt 1000 or something on it so it's kind of yeah, it, every bike has its own kind of little window where it's going to work. Okay, it's it's nicest, and you're trying to work with a client to understand um, what they want to get out of it. Yeah. Do you vary the fork rake at all on your on your bike? So is it one fork, and you'll adjust the head angle to sort of? Um, it, it depends on the bikes. Some of the bikes will adjust the rake, um, but it's mainly like the most. The biggest variable is really the front center and the rear center interesting and okay. the height of the bike yeah um, okay well that, that I guess that leads on to the next question which is front center and rear center I guess um, play a huge part in um, I guess the weight balance you know how a rider sits between a bike what's your philosophy there um, as far as weight balance what, what are you trying to achieve well as said before it's kind of understanding what the rider wants to get out of the bike where are they going to ride it and then trying to achieve a geometry that's going to be confident, inspiring to the rider for that type of riding. So something that flows into the into the corner really nicely. Um, if it's if if it's a bike that someone wants to descend fast fire roads on, something that's you can get off the brakes and let the thing roll, and and not kind of like worried about um, yeah overloading the front tire over rocks and things. Like it's kind of yeah, trying to achieve a bike that inspires confidence in someone and also like potentially build on some of their weaknesses as a as a rider like I don't think there's logic to building like if someone that hasn't done much gravel riding but a lot of road cycling comes to me I don't think there's much point in building them a fast handling gravel bike like you're better off building them a super progressive one because that's going to help them in the areas that they may be... They're strong enough to keep yeah. up on the hills, but yeah, they, exactly. they need help on the downhills. Yeah, yeah. whereas, yeah. like, you'll get... Like, if, if you built a gravel bike for Jared Graves, you could probably get him to ride my road bike down the hill as fast as some people. So it's kind of... Um, it's not always the, the one solution for everyone, I suppose. It's kind of... Um, which is what makes it interesting to work with people because they, they'll have a slightly different idea about where they might want to ride, what they want to get out of it. Um, so weight distribution, I have, um, I have some numbers that I kind of targeting. So I take take the rider, their position on the bike, like their contact points, their mass, um, and estimate the front to rear um, percentage split on a on a flat, and then also um, how that would be impacted climbing as well. And that kind of, I mean, that's more interesting for mountain bikes because you're typically climbing steeper steeper terrain and maybe not riding on as flat terrain for as long a periods of time so that i mean that comes into seat tube angle as well but um yeah kind of work, working through all that kind of stuff to um get to something that i know based on previous testing will result in a bike that meets their intended purpose that's kind of like what you're what you're trying to do i suppose and that's the benefit of custom builder you don't need to sort of design one for everyone 
Gotcha. Like you said, the evil yeah. evil might not have worked for you, but there'll be people out there where that does work for, mm. and it might be like they're wrong. It might yeah, have, it it might have, <laughs> might have slipped over the edge of the bell curve. Yeah, a little bit, but there'll there'll still be people that love it. Yeah. Um, so I could build an evil because someone might turn up and really want that. Mm. But most of my bikes might. Have end you built up. that? Uh, not yet. No. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. On that, on the weight distribution side of things, do you believe that front center and, and rear center length should kind of be a joined equation? Like, if the front center grows, should the rear center grow? Or is it just not that simple? It's not quite that simple. Like, I find so the rear center tends to move more if, like, depending on how much setback someone needs, say, based on the fit, which might be a result of like their fore-aft balance on the bike might dictate where the saddle needs to be so there's not too much weight over the or into the hands in the front of the bike or not enough weight into the hands in the front of the bike or other elements that might drive the fitting process. So that dictates where their kind of hips are and then where their centre of mass is around like kind of their shoulder blades. So that moving... If someone is a long way back on the saddle, for example, then there's no way they should be on a super short chainstay um, so it's kind of um, and depending on how heavy they are like if it's a super light rider then the impact won't be as much so it's kind of Interesting. just making okay. an engineering judgement yeah okay so it does it doesn't necessarily vary on a person's height but their proportions as well in, yeah. in a sense yeah, yeah. and okay. their mass because obviously the um, yeah their their mass is making a huge difference so like if someone's 60 kilos at the same height compared to someone that's 100 kilos like the tipping the the yeah the tipping effect like when you're climbing over the back over the back wheel is going to be massively different yeah. which i think is interesting in um yeah if you were designing a dual suspension bike you'd be trying to take that into consideration for the kinematics um but it, yeah obviously has an impact on how you how you design it <clears throat> so uh, i guess uh, are you willing to share the news about what you just mentioned there <laughs> that that you're you're working on something? Or I am, is it? I'm working on something. It's just yeah. taking a, a long time. Yeah, okay. Um, I have a design for a tie dual suspension bike, which will be, um, it will be tailored to each individual rider. So um, the center of gravity height and the, the, the mass of the rider would impact where the pivot point is to achieve the target anti-squat and anti-lift. So that's kind of yeah, something... It's on the back burner, but is is happening. And that's like, that's pretty unique, right? That's there's like there's some custom dual suspension builders out there, but I don't believe too many are changing the kinematics from frame to frame, are they? They're kind of just changing uh, the reach. I think and like the, some of there's some yeah some pretty cool stuff happening out there. I'd say there's there would be some people that are making those changes. It's okay. kind of like um, yeah, it's what you would do. Like if it was in a car and you were changing roll centers, you'd be changing it based on the center of gravity height. Um, you wouldn't just be kind of leaving it in one spot. So there's there's logic to it. It's obviously easier. The process that I will use for the manufacturer will be mostly additive manufacturing, which is quite heavily featured on my existing bikes, which kind of allows you to move things like the main pivot to, for each bike. So and it's worth it's worth mentioning that the building where we're sitting in your workshop is uh, the same workshop that uh, Bastion's in. So you've got direct access you're yeah. what we're 10 meters away from two 3d printers yeah. 3d yeah. titanium printers at the moment yeah. yeah so you've got it in-house basically yeah. to to make that happen definitely yeah all right so i guess just on my 
what what's running through my head right now is I'm I'm hearing dual suspension mountain bike. I'm hearing. Um, yeah, sorry about that. You saw like a shiny thing on the Magpie and you was like. Oh. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> what do you think about suspension on a gravel bike? This is going a bit off topic, but. Uh, do you so I've. I don't think rear suspension is necessary. Like for myself, riding around Victoria, I've I've kind of settled on a kind of 45 to 50 mil tire on my gravel bikes. Um, in a I, 700 or yeah, a 700. 700. I kind of like my own personal philosophy is that is a more appropriate tire size, and it's only the very very small bikes that I'm will will vary from that. Um, I can make it work in terms of the geometry. Um, the way I do my chain stays, I can get the tire clearance on a on a massive 700 tire and still run a road Q factor crank. So, yeah. Um, what's the What's the trick there? Uh, I use a 3D printed chainstay yoke, which is drop down lower, um, which is, I did that on my, like one of my first all mountain hardtails, like four years ago or something. I think it was one of the first frames in the world that had a welded in 3D printed part. Yep. Um, it was certainly the first of, I ever saw. Run, run with that a bit now yeah. where it's pretty heavily featured in like all my dropouts and um, we're just staring at a pinion gearbox bike where the that's the largest 3D printed part that I've made so far, the whole bridge to hold the gearbox. Yeah I, don't, so I, yeah, I don't think in the rear. So I've kind of settled on that kind of 45 to 50 tyre size. Um, and most of the riding, I feel, without any suspension, that is acceptable, particularly on drop bars. Like I think if you swap to a flat bar kind of arrangement, then you might be looking for some front suspension and you're getting closer to a cross-country bike. But Yeah. Um, I've, like I did a ride just after Christmas which followed backwards along some of the Vic, Vic Divide bikepacking event route and there's some pretty rough parts of that section which on a rigid fork and a 50 mil tyre was kind of slightly type 2 fun I suppose like it was yeah, could, yeah. could have done with a little bit of suspension in the yeah. front Yeah. so I okay. think there's probably there's probably a market for yeah a little bit of squish in the front in some of those use cases but we're talking about like I wouldn't really call that an, a gravel ride. That's more of a adventure gravel. Yeah, okay. Really wanna, yeah, yeah. What yeah. what people used to use cross-country mountain bikes for. Yeah, and like on my gravel bike, like I'm running 50-centimeter 50, 50 wide warmer bars on my own gravel bike. Um, I find that the multi-hand position is really nice for long day rides. Um, you can get quite wide for stability going, um, descending rough stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of still... It's the gravel bike, I suppose. Like it's still, I'd rather do 160 k's on that than a cross-country bike. Yeah. Okay. How that that handlebar width is an interesting thing because gravel handlebars have become wider and wider yeah. in recent years. Does that play into your your decisions around the, the angles of the frame and the reach of the frame? Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah. So we'll do the the fitting. The the final width might. The decision about the width will kind of come through a discussion about yeah what they want to use the bike for. Like where is it on the spectrum of like fast gravel to adventure gravel? Um, is it a yeah? Are we putting a forty-six bar on it or fifty-two or something? And then you'll do the fitting around that, which will then that'll dictate the reach of the bike. Um, and then there'll be some decisions about yeah stem length and steering geometry that will be impacted by how wide the bars are. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess for people at home that may 
just have an existing gravel bike that they're looking to put a wider bar on, what what are some considerations they should be aware of with that? Like their their reach basically extends, yeah, de- right? Yeah, definitely. Like yeah. You, you, the, if you're already on a bike that's too long, which most people are, not, that's an assumption, generalization, yeah. but like a lot of people end up on I'd a bike that. that's a little yeah. bit too big for them. Yeah. So you put an even wider bar on that and it's going to not be terribly comfortable. You're not going to get the most out of it. Um, so yeah, typically shortening up the, the stem if you can, if you're going to a wider bar. But if the bike's not designed around that in the first place, then like you've got, if it's got quite a steep head tube angle and hardly any trail, putting a massive wide bar on it, it's going to result in some kind of slightly funny feeling, like not a huge amount of feedback. Um, like a vague kind of handling or just what like do you characterise it maybe as? Maybe like slightly light and not kind of not an even or not a progressive amount of feedback through the bars as you kind of tip it into a mm-hmm. corner like you want for me I want something that as I as I flow into a corner I want to have like a nice kind of build up of force resisting on the bars as it kind of like yeah, flows into the corner Interesting. like okay. something I'd like yeah I don't I like I hate that feeling of like having to turn out of a corner or like turn in like it should be a really natural like kind to of correct like, the path of the bike yeah corner. you just yeah. want to yeah, yeah. it okay. should be kind of like a really smooth progressive um action flowing into an apex mm. like if you can mimic it like on a on a bigger volume tire just let the pressure's down too much and you'll you'll feel that sensation i'm talking about we kind of have to um i always call it like a fat bike feeling it's like having to steer out of a corner like that that kind of thing so um so that's the, like a reversal in the force that you need on the bars to kind of come in and out of a corner that's quite large. Interesting. Um, okay. So, I mean, on the topic of wide bars, like I, uh, I just, the confidence you get over, I mean, the same reason it works so well on a mountain bike, yeah. like not being knocked offline by rocks and things through rock gardens, yeah. like you're descending, you have fast, rocky descents, which we tend to have, I mean, talking a lot about experience about riding in Australia, we tend to have a lot of kind of quite rocky four-wheel drive track descents and the, and the wider bars just give you so much confidence in terms of keeping a straight line. And um, do, you, do you think curve is at the, the upper limit of where things will go with that or do you think there's room to to go even wider? Oh, I mean, they've, their range is pretty broad like they'll go from a 46 to a i can't remember what the widest bar is like 55 or something or way wide yeah i think is, yeah. yeah i, th- I think yeah. they've already got a fairly yeah. broad yeah spectrum i think it hits there. nearly 800 at the drops or something <laughs> yeah yeah that's and they like i remember first like i had some 48 envy bars on it and then swapped to the to the curve bars and the initial feeling was there yeah, like these are super wide even having like i've got 800 wide bars on my mountain bike and it felt like it felt more excessively wide on that bike than on the mountain bike, which is kind of interesting. Um, but now, like whenever I get back on something with narrow bars, I'm kind of like this thing feels a little bit um, sketchy and. Okay, it feels like a road bike that you're trying to ride yeah. off road. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk bottom bracket height. Yep. How much does that play into your decisions with your when it comes to gravel, specifically gravel bikes? Um, well, I mean, you're certainly a lot lower. In terms of drop, the actual physical height is essentially kind of the same. Like, uh, it, it'll depend on what someone. If someone wants to ride single track, then it 
will maybe be dictated by that. So it will be a bit higher to get pedal clearance. But essentially trying to get as low as possible. That's my kind of... Um, yeah. And why is that? Uh, I just... I've found it to result in a bike that feels just more stable descending. Like it's about kind of um, not so much the tipping angle because like if you like if you estimate the angle which you would go over the bars with, that's more dictated by the length of the bike rather than the bottom bracket height. Because yeah. um, I mean people's, people's centre of gravity height changes massively depending on yeah, how tall they are, more so than changing the bottom bracket height by five mil. So I think it's probably bottom bracket height is maybe obsessed about a little bit more than maybe what it should should yeah. be when you look at the that's fair yeah the impact of center of gravity height of the whole system. I'm, I'm kind of just trying to usually just get it as low as possible because it does. I mean, it it does impact the stability of the bike. Are you are you recommending riders like go the mountain bike path of shorter cranks in order to? Improve uh, crank clearance? Not or? on the gravel bikes, no. Yeah, okay. There's still a focus on um, like the appropriate crank length for their fit rather than yeah. compromising that for... Like on a mountain bike, you can kind of... It depends on the kind of mountain bike. Like if I'm building myself an all-mountain hardtail, I will go to a shorter crank. Yep. Um, like I'd be happy to run a 165 instead of like a 170 that I would normally run on my gravel bike. Yeah, cool. But on the gravel bikes, I don't really see... I'm not sure how many people are really riding through terrain that pedal strike is an issue. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, not too many. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do stupid things all the time, yeah. but it's um, <laughs> but it's not recommended. No. So, yeah. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, fitting a rider there. Uh, do you vary the fit? Say you've got a customer that happens to have, um, is it your repeater, the... Oh, yeah. that's repeaters your mountain bike. Yeah. Um, speciale, yeah. the, the road bike. Yeah. Say they've already got a speciale. They yeah. want to get a gravel bike. They get the, the Mostro. Yeah. Um, Fit-wise, are you basically trying to replicate their fit or are you changing things up to suit uh, the gravel? It will, it will be different. Yeah. So not, not as different as what a mountain bike fit would be. So I've got clients that have both a road bike and a mountain bike and their fit will be quite different in a horizontal plane that's different. Okay. Um, like on the for, – for a mountain bike fit or for a road bike fit, you kind of – working in the horizontal plane is fairly um, – a fairly decent assumption because you're like the maximum gradient. You might be riding ups on average might be 6%. So you, like your balance on the bike is maybe less impacted by the terrain. Whereas on a mountain bike, you might be climbing something that's like a 20% gradient and you're not having to ride it across – flat roads for hours and hours so you can kind of compromise things like setback um so you can sort of rotate someone a long way forward on a mountain bike and get away with it like if you try to do that on their road bike they'll just like their hands will like you get so sore after an hour of riding because they're kind of like for example my setback on my road bike might be 85 mil with a normalish saddle on my mountain bike it might be 35 or 40 if I tried to put my road bike at 35 or 40, like the the pain you would get through your hands from just kind of being forced into the front of the bike would be huge. Right. But then on the mountain bike, you're climbing and then as soon as you start to tilt up to like kind of that above 10% gradient, like you fall back into that same balance that you were on on the road bike on sure. the flat. So yeah. the gravel bikes are somewhere closer to the road bike. Like you, you will be climbing steeper terrain, but then 
you also might want to ride it along a flat road for 60 k's yeah um generally less focus on aero so like less like trying to get them not quite as low in the front so just a little bit higher yeah to kind of a little shorter reach uh, the reach might not change too much. Okay. Um, All right. It's kind of maybe like a little bit less setback just to kind of get that balance when you're climbing um, and just a little like typically less drop. Um, but, I mean, it's very dependent on the – like you get bigger variation between people than you would between the bike models. Sure. Yeah, okay. Like you can have some people that are sustainable at 200 mil of drop and then some that – a sustainable at 40 mil drop so it's kind of there's bigger variation there but like to your original question about if someone has both bikes yeah, yeah they'll like 90% sure they'll end up on less drop a little bit further forward on the gravel bike okay alright it's so more upright further forward um, yeah things like crank length you're keeping the same yeah um, yeah okay and like saddle setback would be a little bit more forward as well. Yeah, just a, yeah. a little bit more yeah. forward. Like okay. not as extreme as that example I gave with the mountain bike. But yeah, um, yeah, somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then saddle height would be pretty much roughly where the road bike is. Yeah, pretty much the same. Just yeah. compensating for the whatever pedal system they're running. But yeah, yeah. essentially the, yeah, the same. So okay. yeah, like cool. on a mountain bike, you might be particularly on a hard tail, you might be a touch lower on saddle height. Mm. Um, but on the gravel bike, you'd essentially be where you are with the road bike yeah great okay and then i guess on that topic of being a little bit more forward we're seeing the trend in mountain bikes where um uh, seat tube angles are just continuously getting steeper and steeper and steeper you know in the past a 74 degree angle would have been considered steep on a mountain (laughs) bike uh, now, basically, if you release a mountain bike with 77 degrees, yeah. <laughs> the guys at Think Bike are going to rubbish you for being in the dark ages. Yeah. Um, how is that trend playing into your gravel bike uh, design decisions? I don't think it's at all playing in, unless someone wants to ride Whistler on the gravel bike, I don't think it's playing into the design decisions. It's kind of, that has, that that particular design decision is more related to where people are riding the mountain bikes and what they're using them for. Yeah. Um, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't design someone a cross country race bike with a 77 degree seat tube angle, but if someone wants to go and yeah, just do shuttles and stuff or ride up a fire road to do a, um, an enduro descent, then definitely. Yeah. And it's just what we were talking about before about that kind of balance on the bike. Uh, and interesting. So this pinion bike that we're just looking at here, that's kind of a, a gravel adventure bike, I suppose, and I built that. It's for myself because it was a prototype. I built it to compare the gearbox to a conventional drivetrain, so I kind of built it in a similar fit to my conventional Mostro gravel bike yeah. with similar same tyres and everything. So I, I built it around a setback that I would normally have my gravel bike at, and then the reach kind of fell out from that. And then, so if I take this thing to single track, it doesn't climb steep terrain as well as my super long slacked out hardtail interesting okay so it's like much shorter wheelbase what you would kind of almost look at and go well that's just a cross-country bike but doesn't actually climb Mm. as well as the longer bike and it's for me it's just about weight balance like this has just got too much weight on the front on the back wheel because it's 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 got a setback that 
puts me in a comfortable position so I can ride along the flat for a long amount of time. So my centre of gravity on the bike is such that the pressure through my hands isn't too much. Whereas the all-mountain bike's like a long way, the saddle's a lot further forward, so it puts me in a more advantageous position for climbing steeper. You've got more weight on that front wheel with the longer bike? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of like you, you would look at the two bikes side by side and go, well, this one's going to climb single track better. The other one's going to be a, like a truck. But, but it's, 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 complete, the opposite. It's, it's the opposite. It's kind yeah, of, interesting. Which okay. is why, like, if you look at something like um, some of the more extreme bikes out there, like a Nikolai or, or a Pole or something, and they've got like a super long wheelbase, super seat, stoop seat, <laughs> steep <laughs> seat tube, they will climb well. Maybe if you get into like t- t- really tight switchbacks, the length of the bike might have some impact there. But in terms of actually being able to climb up stuff, um, that, that's what you would do if you wanted to build a hill climb bike, I suppose, wouldn't you? Interesting. Yeah, okay. So I guess in that idea that a super slack with a s- steep seat angle bike can actually climb well, do you think there's room for gravel bikes to continue to progress in, in the geometry stake or do you think we're in a not pretty good place? People, not unless people completely stop riding like normal gravel roads. Yeah. Yep. Which I can't really see so, happening. So it'll happen if people start using their gravel bike for mountain biking. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. Looking at you evil. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Which some people do and it's kind of like, that's fine. Yeah. And build a bike for that. Yeah. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't see the general population of, of gravel riders at the moment doing that. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So do you think, uh, I guess in, in terms of the, the gravel bikes, if someone was getting a custom gravel bike today, you don't really see things progressing greatly in the next five years in that category. You think we've, we've already worked out the, the rough area of where the ideal handling bike is unless like the unless something shifts in the tires or the drivetrain tech or if someone comes up with some crazy new handlebar like we're kind of making some assumptions that the handlebars are the best they can be like maybe something changes there that completely shifts the way we can design the bikes right um maybe different drivetrains come out that allow you to design the bike differently i don't think like on the like the, when I said before, like I don't see gravel bikes going down there. I don't see them going down the steep seat tube angle route. Yep. But definitely like the, there's still room for them to be longer, like not slacked out, but just inc- increasing the length of the front of the bike by shortening the stem up. So you're not introducing too much flop. You're just lengthening the wheelbase essentially. Yep. Which is kind of what I suppose that's my bigger tuning tool when someone's kind of telling me where on the spectrum of fast gravel to adventure gravel they are yeah it's kind of just I, I don't just slacken out the head tube angle and make the bike feel kind of floppy and lazy you're, you're lengthening the bike through shortening the stem so the stem is kind of like the driven variable there i'm, I'm tuning the front center first and foremost mm. um so yeah, okay. still, i think there's still room in that space and maybe if the handlebar design someone comes up with something that we don't currently uh, was that a wink? See. No, no, it wasn't, no, it wasn't a wink. I'm, I'm, yeah, I've got too much on my plate already. Yeah, I've kind of, I, I'm, yeah, I've had some pretty interesting conversations with people that ride a lot. Some people that, that also build bikes about that kind of stuff, and I don't, 
I think the consensus is that there isn't, we're not in the perfect situation at the moment. Yeah. Still room to progress. Yeah, when you look at what's yep. changed just in the last little bit with um, like f- flare to bars and like mm. where where the hoods are, where your hands might be for aero versus um, confidence descending, like some of the crazy stuff going on in road cycling just sure. at the moment as well. Like with, yep. like ov- obviously for aero, if you're riding along a really flat, long gravel ride <clears throat> and there's a headwind, then you'd, aero does become a driving factor and so getting not being like way out wide like a parachute is going to be something you want to do so maybe there is some space there for someone to design something that does okay keep you narrow but give you stability yeah like still give you the like i mean the problem is that the controls that we have yep are designed around um conventional bars at the moment so yeah. yeah okay yeah, interesting. So right. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, I'm not one to rule things out, that's for sure. But. Okay. So still, still playing, still, still moving the needle. Yeah. All right. So on the front center length aspect, uh, what would a rider experience? Like what sort of characteristic would they get if with that longer front center? Like what are you trying to achieve by, by lengthening that front center? Um, so it's that kind of feeling of overloading the front wheel or like tucking under in kind of little, descents or so it's kind of like it's confidence in the traction the front tire has and the effect of where your center of gravity is so like on on my own personal current gravel bike like i targeted the same tipping angle as what i had on my conventional cross-country 29er so i got the bike lower i got the bike long enough that essentially like if you stood the bike up on its nose it would fall over like I would land on my head at the same angle between the two bikes. So, and then I added a dropper to that so I can get even lower. So like the, the, the confidence and speed I can descend on on that bike is kind of, it's just massive. Like the thing just, yeah. Just, you just hold on basically. Yeah. There's no sensation of feeling like you're being shot over the front. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. And you, and I don't know how to best describe it, but like everyone's probably felt it, particularly on an old school mountain bike when you're, like dropping dropping into a little, um, like into a little gully or something, and you feel that kind of sensation of the front wheel about to tuck under, and you're like, "Oh, I'm about to go over the bars here." Like that, that feeling, like not kind of, yeah, overloading the front. Yeah. Um, interesting. So if yeah, yeah. If, if the front center's too short, um, like if you try and ride a road ride a road bike, ride a road bike down that same little thing compared to a, a sort of progressive gravel bike, you're gonna it's just going to be more confidence-inspiring and you'll be able to kind of concentrate on other stuff, like have a look at the mm. wildlife and... <laughs> sure, enjoy the, <laughs> enjoy the ride. Yeah. Um, Which is kind of like when an, it's, it's being asked less now, but like the difference between a cross bike and a gravel bike is always entertaining. Mm. Like people just like, oh, it's just a cross bike. But a cross bike's designed to like ride around a paddock, yeah. slow speed. Yeah. It's, it's such a different use case to what most people are using their gravel bikes for. Like the gravel bike, I want to be able to descend at 70 k's an hour down a really fast, rough road. The cross bike, you want to be able to like get around a tiny hairpin on some grass um, or jump over something. And, so it's and pedal of, through it while you're doing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like the, yeah. the difference there would be, yeah, like it's all in how high, how high the bottom bracket is. Um, obviously how big the tyres are because the tyres are like every vehicle, the tyres are one of the most important 
parts of the whole system. Yeah. Um, and the length of the bike. Okay. Um, so I've got two more questions for you, yeah. which is, uh, you mentioned dropper posts. Yeah. Uh, how much do dropper posts p- play into the, the geometry decisions of a bike? Do you believe that they're allowing doors to be opened in some sense? Because in the mountain bike world, you'd, I'd, uh, I hope you agree with me, which is <laughs> it's the dropper post that it's allowed uh, seat tube angles to get so steep, right? Um, or is that maybe oversimplifying it? But I so. think that's oversimplified. It's a little bit interconnected why those two things have kind of, um, yeah, I don't think it's wholly okay. why. Okay, all right. But uh, on the gravel sense, do you think dropper posts will... It makes it harder to do the design because most dropper posts are designed around zero offset. Right. Um, okay. A lot of a lot of people's fit and saddles kind of make that a little bit challenging because you're you're fighting tire clearance as well. So you got a bigger tire. So like trying to get clearance to the seat tube. So like my gravel bikes have a curved seat tube, the same as my mountain bikes. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's changing much. It just changes the use case. It's like a mountain bike. Like it's just if you put a dropper on it, you just you might be more willing to have a go at something, or um, or it's just more fun descending. Like you can, it definitely increases the the capability of you and the bike as a system by putting a dropper on it. But I've found like I've had a dropper on my gravel bike for over a year. I've probably found the amount of times where I really need it is not that much in terms of percentage. Whereas on the mountain bike, it's every ride. Um, so it's kind of a, like it's a novelty and it's, it is like descending a fast fire road. Like it's, it's pretty fun with the saddle ride down. Like it's yeah, kind of, sure. um, yeah. 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 Uh, like personally, I found it most useful on bikes with that are perhaps too short front and center. Yeah. We'll compensate um, for, you know, it, it lets you get your weight behind the bike as yeah. opposed to feeling like you're going over the front of it so yeah and on, um, on my own bike I'm not really using it to kind of I'm just using it to get lower so it feels like yeah. you're on a it almost feels like you're on a BMX bike like you're so low to the ground it's like when you're when you're cornering kind of really loose gravel like you're just you're getting your whole center of gravity down lower um, so it does make a difference in terms of confidence in that scenario so it just um, yeah, it, it depends on what you want to get out of it and yeah, cool. Um, final question. You mentioned tire width and how that plays a factor into the whole package. Yeah. Um, what should people be aware of with that? Because it does, tire width does play a factor into how the bike handles, right? You, you go wider, the, the handling slows. Um, is, is that playing a factor into how you're designing a bike, like um, building it around the tire width that you're designing for? Yes, like a, a little bit. Um, like I, I will vary the geometry depending on if it's got a 38 or a 55 mil tire on it. Right. I think there's bigger differences in brands of tire and then the pressure that you run those tires at and its impact on how the steering feels. Like it's kind of like there's certain tires which are quite supple and comfortable and capable, but if you run them slightly too low, um, the feeling you and the feedback you get through the steering changes or the bars gets quite different and and not linear um so it's kind of i think maybe what's happening at the moment is like some of the gravel bike tires they've just kind of blown up some of the smaller tires and they haven't quite yet learned how to build the carcass whereas mountain bikes have been through that kind of that phase um yeah 
like a 2.4, 2.5 Maxxis mountain bike tire, you know, is going to feel good. Yeah. Um, people have blown up gravel bike tires to similar sizes and maybe not, they haven't learned yet. Gotcha. That the carcass might need to be stiffer and um, not staring at any particular tires, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, surprised those are staying on the rim. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So. There's definitely you think that might be the next another I area of gravel bike steel to progress. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's happening all the time. There's yeah. I've got um, the guys from Goodyear gave me some some fifty mil can't remember the they're gonna shoot me now, I can't remember the model name, but they're fifty mil gravel bike tire. The connector maybe? Or? Yeah, that's a, it's yeah. a really nice feeling tire. It's maybe yeah. the knobs are not kind of as big as they could be for some riding I do, but in terms yeah. of the feeling you get from them is really nice compared to some others. So mm. okay. I think there'll just be more and more, um, there'll be more options in that space and they'll improve. Yeah, cool. Um, okay. They'll yeah, just keep getting better and. Yeah, great. Okay. So I guess to summarize some of the, the trends that you might be looking toward uh, wider tires on gravel bikes, you think, you're, you, yeah. I guess by the sounds of it, you think the current trend of like 40 mil tires is a bit on the narrow side? At least, at least for those in Australia. Yeah, for for Victoria, I think yeah. Like I've, I haven't found the, f- so I've been running like between a forty-five and a fifty on my own bike, and I haven't found it to have any, great, downsides. Yeah. Um, in terms of like it doesn't feel slow or dead or. Yeah. Um. But going bigger than that, on the drop bars, it feels like you kind of end up running into, like it. The only, the only time I want a bigger tire than that is for like, so I can run lower pressure and maybe ride over rougher terrain. But then I start to run into situations where I, like the hoods and the drop bars don't really work. So it's kind of like, I feel like it's a, it's a natural point. Yeah. Like okay. the two inch tire feels like a natural point to kind of like swap over into a flat bar bike. Yeah, it's cool. Okay. And or, then, or some newfangled bar that someone might come up with. But. Okay. All right. And then, yeah, so new bar shapes, bars getting wider and overcoming, um, I guess, the still trying to keep people narrow at the same time somehow. Yeah. That's maybe another trend to look for. Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. I, like I did a long trip on this bike with flat bars and it's, like, I would definitely say it's not as nice on the hands and the body as having the multi-positions of, okay. of the drop bar. So yeah, cool. Okay. Like if I'm talking to someone about it, a bike that they're going to use for that kind of riding then you'll sort of be it just depends yeah, on what they want to use it for um yeah so this pinion bike that you just referred to actually has like a bmx style handlebar on yeah. it with like a, a cross brace across the the center of it do you use that cross brace to hold on to no, I, just, I just put them on um only recently they came from sell money in the states yeah it was, was, was at the handmade show a few years ago yeah wasn't it? yeah so the irony is that that's a carbon version of his steel Philip Rose bars and I've put a aluminium NV stem on the bike as well. It's gotcha. <laughs> okay. But I think there will be... Very cool. It, it will be some, yeah, somewhere extra to put your hands and... Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of the drawbacks of the pinion that there's no, no decent drop bar, no available drop bar shifters. I have built a client's bike with um, the drop bar it's like a modified TRP setup which worked really well but availability is just kind of yeah out the door so um, the only reason there's flat bars on that bike is really because of the the drivetrain yeah okay alright well I think that's a pretty good place to end I'm going to let you get back to work cool. uh, thank you for people listening where can they find you 
Uh, You're on Instagram? Yep. Instagram, ProvoCycles, uh, website, ProvoCycles.com. Yep. Okay. And uh, what should people keep be keeping an eye out for you for future future uh, developments? Or? Uh, so I'm working on... I'm working on up on a, a new. We've probably seen seen some. Well, Envy have released their own road bike with an integrated cockpit. Okay. So I'm, I'm working on a tie road bike that will use that system. Okay. All right. Um, so before I'm working on long long term goal is the dual suspension bike. It's yep. kind of um, it's on the back burner at the moment. Shouldn't be, but it is. Um, <laughs> just focusing on the on the core business, which is. Most of this is running a business rather than <laughs> waxing lyrical about handlebar width. It's kind of like... Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the next big thing, I suppose, is the, yeah, the integrated copy on the, on the tyre road bike. Yeah, cool. All right. Oh, thanks, Mark. No worries. All right, so there you have it. Mark Hester of Provocycles and the not-so-easy world of bike geometry. I'd like to give a shout out to Vela Club for making the Nerd Alert podcast possible and for effectively funding me to cover the independent small builders that made up the Australian Handmade Bicycle Show. If you like this episode, then please leave a review. We'll be back next week with our regular cast and conversation about the world of cycling tech. Cheers. Cheers.